Oh, let's give him great and glorious praise. You know what? A mighty God is worthy of mighty praise. Listen, if he's only done a little bit for you, just give him a little bit of praise. But if he's mighty, if he's glorious, if he's wonderful, give him glorious praise. shake their hand, greet him in the name of the Lord, give him a big smile. Give the devil a slug. Why not? Praise God. You know what? I feel victory in this house. If you don't have it, you can get it. It's available. It's obtainable. Praise God. Wow. I love Tuesday nights. Thank you, Brother Isaac, for that announcement. Brother Raul Alviar will be here preaching on Sunday. You don't want to. You say, Pastor's Labor Day week. I, I know. Whatever. Go on Monday. Because you're going to be blessed on Sunday with Brother Raul from Brazil. Incredible preaching. In fact, in fact, I, uh, I really think that if you, could, if you could bring a visitor, that they would be greatly blessed and maybe even born again. Let's be bringing people out. What do you say? Let's have revival. Now is the appointed time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And uh, after service, you've already heard it announced. Listen, whenever, whenever Brother Rodriguez gets behind a grill, you want to be somewhere around. When I get behind a grill, it's time to leave. Because your food is, if it is fully cooked, it won't taste good. So I leave, I leave all that to people that know what they're doing. Praise God. Great to see everybody tonight. God's good. God's good. You see, so somebody always has an excuse by saying, Pastor, you don't understand the life I'm living. Listen, I don't care what life you're living. God's got an answer for it. Somewhere faith has to intersect. And we say, wait a minute. God's bigger than all this. God's greater than all this. And uh, if I didn't think that, I would have given up many, many years ago. Uh, just, just would have given up. But, but God is greater 
than the give up. Because I want to go up. I don't want to give up. I want to go up. But you can't do that till you grow up. And you're not going to grow up till you get up. You ain't going to get up till you sit up. And I ain't going nowhere because I ain't going to let up. And so why don't we take the devil and do a throwdown? Because he's going down. Somebody shout. I feel it tonight. Great to see everybody in the house. Let's direct your attention tonight to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, a familiar passage of Scripture. But we are going to take um, a little bit different look at this tonight, Matthew, chapter number 28. And um, we're just going to slow down and talk about some things tonight. Matthew chapter 28. Let's give this some context. context. Context is always the chief principle of interpretation. Always. Nothing, nothing trumps context. Verse number 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, all power. Now that word power is not the same word that we find in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, which is dunamis. It's the same English word, but you have to understand, the English language is the most illustrious of any language in the world. Okay, which is why textual criticism, that's a big word that simply means people that do biblical word studies, it makes it so important because when you, when you get to an English word, it can actually mean six or seven different words that are synonymous with that one word. You follow me? You follow me? Which is why it's important to understand the original usage of the word, and then the English translation of that word, because it makes all the difference in what the authors were truly trying to convey, okay? Hallelujah. And Jesus came and spake unto them, all power, that word power comes from the Greek word exousia here, not dunamis. It's dunamis in Acts, but it's exousia here, and it means authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That is directly tied with the next verse. Go ye therefore, or as a result of that, as a result of that, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. The word name there is singular. Of the Father. It doesn't say name of the Son. It just says name once. Name of the Father. 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And I want to talk to us about an introduction into the doctrine of the Trinity. An introduction into the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? And don't look so shocked. I'm looking at all of you and you're looking at me like a mule eating briars right now. Okay? Let's put our Bibles down and let's pray, shall we? Let's lift our voices. Let us lift our voices and pray together that God would bless with understanding and illumination by the authority of the name of Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And God bless you. You may be seated. This is a perfect time right now to get your pad out, to get your pencil out. I will allow you, if need be, to use an iPhone to take notes. But if you're texting, God sees that. And you will not be blessed. Because that is forbidden. Listen, we got that nonsense going on every day of the week at all hours. There ought to be some things that are more important than social networking. I know you agree with that. Um, first of all, we don't believe that there is a trinity. I want to firmly establish that. Some of you had a look of shock when I said that we are going to do an introduction. This is going to be, um, there are three, there are three bodies of approaching the word of God that are all valid and they're all using Greek, Greek names. We still use these names. One of them is homiletics. Homiletics is the preparation of the Word of God to present to people, whether it's a Bible study, preaching, whatever the case may be. The other one I've already talked about tonight is hermeneutics. That is, by definition, that literally means interpretation. And then there's another one called apologetics. And apologetics is a ordered defense of the Word of God, using the Word of God to defend itself. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no better defense against the false and spurious doctrines of this world like just using the unadulterated Word of God. The Word of God will interpret itself. The Word of God will defend itself. The Word of God will identify who we are. It will identify and describe what we are supposed to be doing in terms of lifestyle, procedure, and other things. So this would fall under the banner of apologetics and hermeneutics tonight, but it's still a Bible study, so it's still homiletics. It covers all three. But I want to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity because there are a lot of people that come in to the church in the 21st century that have just assumed that there are certain things that are biblically right. And I want to tell you, when it comes to God, 
I'm going to be use myself as an example because, and I'm just doing it just so that some of you can get on board and identify with me. There were a lot of assumptions that I had when I first came to an apostolic church 30-odd years ago. Every single one of them were systematically blown out of the water. And I found out that there was a whole lot that I did not know about this book. And I want to confess to you tonight, there's still a whole lot I don't know about this book. But one thing I can tell you is when I received the Holy Ghost, I received the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth is leading me and guiding me into all truth. You can't know truth without the spirit of truth. This is why there's a lot of people, every once in a while, you'll run into somebody in the world that uh, is denominational, and they are very sincere. I'm not questioning any of that. They're very sincere. Even some of them will know a few scriptures. But the scriptures that they know are not in proper alignment, because the only thing that gives proper alignment is the spirit of truth. And uh, I knew a few scriptures when I got saved, because I was raised United Methodist. Um, my grandfather was a United Methodist preacher. Uh, my mother had been United Methodist all of her life, and therefore um, we went to a United Methodist church for a few years that I can recall. And I knew a few things about the Word of God, but it was this, and they were disjointed. They were dismembered. They were all in different locations. They were not in proper arrangement to give an accurate rendering when you get the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of Truth, everything falls into line to give a proper rendering, to give proper illumination about what this book is trying to reveal, which is why when we come to church here at Cornerstone, it's not a program. It is an interaction with another world that is no matter how many people are here and even people beyond that will listen to this service on SoundCloud, the Holy Ghost can take what is taught in this service tonight and bring illumination to every single life. That is a dynamic that only happens through the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Let's clap our hands and give God praise. I thank God for that. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So regardless of what kind of day you had, regardless of how, uh, how long you've been in the church, how long or how new you are, God always has something for everyone. Regardless of what the text is used, regardless of what the Bible studies about, regardless about what the man preaches about, God can take some aspect of that service and apply it to our lives. Isn't that awesome? I think that's incredible. And I've, I've been in awe of that ever since I've been saved. The reason why we chose Matthew chapter 20, verse number 19, is because this is, uh, there's other scriptures, we may get to them tonight. Um, this is the fundamental, foundational scripture that is used to prove that there is the existence of a trinity. When we use the word trinity, um, we are using that word to describe in verse number 19, Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That has been interpreted, misinterpreted, I should say, um, for over 2,000 years 
or close to 2,000 years to mean that there are three individual persons that are in the Godhead. And the Godhead is an incredible term. And when you look this up, um, if you have a Vines Expository Dictionary or you have a Strong's, Strong's exhaustive concordance of every word in the Bible, when you look at the word Godhead, it literally means divinity or deity. The highest aspect that can be, um, can be defined as the authority of God is the Godhead. But the Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse number 9, speaking of Jesus, that in him, in Jesus, was all the fullness of the Godhead. Okay? And so if you're a Trinitarian, to read the Bible as we understand the Bible actually raises more questions than it does give answers. In fact, when they talk about the Trinity, of course, the Trinity comes from a, a, a root prefix, which is tri, T-R-I, which means three. And they are describing three people in the Trinity. That they will tell you that you cannot understand the Trinity. It is a mystery. tell you it is not a mystery it is fictitious it is fiction it is a man-made humanistic before it's over tonight I'm going to define all this and lay my case out for you but it is a humanistic attempt to understand God without the baptism of the Holy Ghost which is the spirit of truth okay amen so you have to understand that this word Trinity is not found in the Word of God. The word Trinitarian, the word Trinity, the word triune, the word triunity is not found in the Word of God. They are man-made words in an attempt to describe the Godhead. And so there were some early, we'll get into define some of this as time goes on, but there were early believers, and when I say early believers, I'm talking about post-apostolic. They were not of the apostles' teaching, and they were not of the apostles' doctrine. There was almost an immediate, in fact, even while the apostles were alive and they were actually starting churches, that there were people that were seeking to sabotage the purity of the spirit of truth and its influence in the world. Just several casual scriptures. You may remember in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, of course, is the very first uh, church that is addressed. And it's not a city. Galatia was an entire region. And in Galatians chapter number 1, verses 6, number eight, verses six through 8, the apostle says, If any man come preaching any other gospel other than that what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Because there were already some men that were creeping in that had illegitimate motives. They had uh, incomplete um, discipleship. And they were trying to subvert the first century church. This is already taking place. Even the Apostle John said, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. It's already there. And these 
kinds of things were already taking place. Well, when the apostles passed off the scene, it became wolves moved in. In fact, there was even warning to say that wolves will move in and not spare the flock. And so it's very important that people had the right doctrine, they had the right spirit. Because I'm going to tell you, it's a big deal to be apostolic. It's a big deal to believe the Word of God. You don't think it's a big deal. You just go out and talk to people about how many people actually believe that they need to be born again of water and spirit. Or they need to be baptized in Jesus' name because it's the only legitimate biblical baptism that ever took place. They're going to look at you and say it doesn't matter. They're going to minimize minimize it. They're going to say, I wasn't raised that way. There's, there's a potpourri of explanation. I want to tell you, I am thankful every single day that when God called me out of darkness, he didn't. This is not for sale. I'm not going to trade it. I'm not going to give it away. I'm not going to sabotage it. I'm not going to betray it. This is the most powerful thing that a human being can possess is an accurate rendering of that book. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody over there, clap your hands and give God the praise. All over this building, let's thank God. There are sincere people by the millions, by the countless millions that don't have a clue what that book says. But they go to church every Sunday. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 said, The God of this world, if our gospel is hid, the Apostle Paul, once again, the Apostle Paul had a revelation of this. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You can sit there all day long and tell me you're safe. In fact, some of you that are brand new and coming into this, one of the most, one of the, one of the most incredible mind-boggling revelations that I got as an individual over 30 years ago is when I realized that all those people, even in my family tree, although they were sincere, although they went to church, although they packed their Bible around, they did not have one understanding of what this Bible was really saying. You can't just pull a scripture out of John 3.16 and say, God, I got a scripture. You got to honor this. No, 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 no. It has to be in proper alignment. It has to be, oh, somebody help me out. It has to, if you, if you, don't, if you don't obey the scriptures of salvation, you're not even in it. You're still on the outside looking in. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Again, that might not be a big deal to you. But if it's not, you probably won't value this. That is mind-boggling. I had a room full of people one time after the service, and I handed one of the guys some Bibles. Uh, we went around the table. It was full. After church, we had a Bible study. And I looked, went around the entire room. I said, are you saved? They said, yes. I said, are you saved? They said, yes. Are you saved? Yes. Took my Bible and I said, using this Bible, prove to me you're saved. They took me to John 3.16. And I said, who is Jesus talking to? He said, I don't know. I said, well, you, you have jumped in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having 
with a man by the name of Nicodemus, who is a ruler of the Jews. And the first eight verses absolutely reveal what a person has to do. To do it, he's addressing Nicodemus, but he's speaking to the entire human race. Except a man is born again, not believe. I mean, you, God's given a measure of, of faith to every man. Belief is a requirement to do anything. You're not going to obey this until you believe it. So you got to believe. But belief is not enough to save you. You have to obey the word of God. And once you're born again of the water and of the spirit, your eyes are open. And you say, I never even knew this was here. I never, I coexisted with this for 30 years. I sat on a bar stool and this was right there. And I never even knew it. It's staggering how big this is. And so when I showed him this, just about every one of them ended up getting baptized in Jesus' name. Because after I went, took to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, I went to Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, and I showed them where that was actually practiced. But see, my point is, if you don't get into this right, nothing else is going to make sense. You have to, your entrance, you have to be birthright in order for everything in this world to, if it doesn't make sense, at least you know where to go for an answer. But at least you're not hanging your spiritual hat on a non-existent nail that's not there. And you can see in our world today, and I know I'm deviating, I'm going to get back here in a minute, but you can see in our world today that doctrine, salvific doctrine, is shifting. And culture is the tail wagging the dog. The church is supposed to be changing culture, but culture is changing the church. That's the first sign of false doctrine, is you're not in control. Honey, there ain't nobody that's going to change me out there. I've been there, done that, I want this. And I know the difference. Hallelujah. The very first time that the word Trinity was used, it was not used until 200 A.D., and it was coined by a famous man by the name of Tertullian. He was an incredible orator, and in studying, listen, I've got thousands of pages on church history, and you have to be careful when you read either commentaries by denominational authors sincere authors, but equally on the other side of the balance, they have just as many that wrote on church history. You have to understand that when you're opening a book, you are looking at the perception, their perception of history or their perception of commentary through their eyes. Do you get that? No, I'm telling you, that is very important because when you realize, okay, this guy's affiliationist, he was a Presbyterian, which means they believe in predestination, which means that God has already determined who's going to be saved and who's going to go to hell. I have a friend of mine. In fact, my wife and I saw him in the airport. Last time I was in the airport, um, I've, I've witnessed to this man. I've talked to him, 
and he is very resilient against truth because he was raised to believe that God already knows who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. Well, let's let's just give all this up then. Why are we doing all this? He said, I can't be, I can't be lost. And I thought to myself, my God, the, the, the delusion. What do you mean? Because the prodigal, the, the father said when he came back, he said, that which was lost is now found. What do you mean you can't be lost? He said, I can't be lost. God has already determined that I'm going to be forever saved. What do you do with the scripture? It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to listen to anybody that has not been to the water in Jesus' name. I don't even listen to people that don't pray. I don't even want to listen to people that don't talk in tongues. And so all of these historians, all of these all of these commentators, they all have a particular affiliation. And at the turn of the previous century, there were only nine denominations in America. They were mainline, most of them Protestant, but there some, were some, several that were ecumenic. Okay? They all want to believe that what they believe goes all the way back. They all believe they come from the apostles. And so I have like eight volumes in my library by a very famous historian, and he's He's very exhaustive. His name is Philip Schaff. He did a great job of trying to piece some things together. But he was a Presbyterian. So he is writing this from the perspective that the Presbyterians go all the way back to the apostles. Even, that, even though the Presbyterians do not baptize in Jesus' name, they do not believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They believe you get the Holy Ghost when you believe. That is a common misconception, misinterpretation in our world. When you get the Holy Ghost... You're going to speak in other tongues like they did in the book of Acts. Because even the apostle that had the keys said, now I know they got it like we did in the beginning, for I heard them speak in tongues. But see, our world is afraid of the supernatural. So what they do is they say, I don't want that. And they end up tearing every page out of the Bible that they don't agree with. Quit getting me off my notes, please. Okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, please. Quit doing that for the pastor in front of people. Thank you. Do it now. Tertullian, before I rudely interrupted myself, Tertullian was an orator. And you're in studying this out, there were several um, what they call creeds. They had they had these these ecumenical meetings where people could talk about doctrine, talk about these issues, and they actually made whoever was the best spokesman, whoever talked the best, whoever presented their case the best, they said, that's doctrine. And this man, Tertullian, uh, was a pastor at Alexandria. It used to be a philosophical school. It was not in the Holy Land historically. Alexandria was a place that was rife with idolatry, polytheism. And Tertullian had a background of polytheism. It means he believed in more than one God. And so in one of these creedal formats where they got together and talked about this, in one of these councils he got up and introduced the idea of a trinity that all of these members of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, 
were co-equal, they were co-eternal, they all shared the same power and preeminence together. Amen. And so he was so convincing that he was able to inject this into the minds because by this time they had not even, baptism in Jesus' name endured heavily into the third and the fourth century. But it was beginning to wane in a lot of places for the mention. The reasons that I already mentioned, there were people trying to creep in. They were trying to bring their own subtle, uh, they, had, they had their own agendas. And they started bringing this into the body of Christ. And so what happened was people like us, they began to earmark people like us using certain phrases. And these phrases, theologically, are still alive today. In fact, um, I'm part of certain um, deals where I get I get updates all the time, academic updates from the greater, uh, quote-unquote, scriptural, supernatural, and philosophical world where there's people that are submitting papers almost every day on this stuff. I mean, it's, it is a plethora of information that's out there. And 99.9% .9 of it is misinformation or false information or misrepresentation. But they coined a phrase way back in the beginning where they called people that were oneness. They called us modalists. And it comes from the term mode, M-O-D-E, which its theological definition means that we believed, and it's, it's, this, is, this is true, we do believe this. We believe that God revealed himself to creation, using, for the sake of this explanation, certain modes that are found in the Word of God. The first one being a father. The second one being a son. Father in creation, son in redemption, Holy Ghost in regeneration, if you please. But we believe as people that believe that God revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, that God used these anthropomorphical, that's a big word, anthropomorphical, which means it is God using something about himself, but he's using a human term to reveal himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. You got that? We believe that God, by his own choosing and the counsel of his own will, revealed himself as a father. I don't know what he was in eternity past. You can't be a father if you don't have sons. I don't know. We know according to John chapter 4, verse number 24, that God is a spirit. But before there was any creation, why would there need to be a father? trying to get you to think a little bit. So once God began to create, he revealed himself as a father. And then God took on human form and he became the son. Are you with me? And now, in Acts chapter number 2, the Holy Ghost is poured out on all flesh which is Christ in us, the hope of glory.
That's what a modalist believes, that God used different modes to reveal himself to humanity. The Trinitarians denounced that because they thought that that absolutely rendered the eternal presence of the Father as being non-existent. Meaning instead of God using like a mask that uh, in, the, in the ancient dramas of Greece, in the amphitheaters, they didn't have all of the Hollywood uh, paraphernalia and memorabilia, but they would put a mask on and one man could play many different roles because the mask would change. That is a, that is a thumbnail sketch of modalism. It's not 100% accurate. But the diehard Trinitarians believe that God the Father existed in eternity past. God the Son existed in eternity past. And the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit existed in eternity past. All right? I have a few questions for you if you believe that. Are there any Trinitarian Jews in the Old Testament? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 is going to help us tonight. And Brother Anthony, you're going to be busy for a while if you just stay right on this. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is how many? Did he not just offend the Trinity? Okay, Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 3. We could do this all night, and I'm not going to do that. We're going to move on, but I want to show you a few scriptures. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One. One is capitalized there, which means numerical. Of Israel, thy Savior. Verse 11, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Okay, now is that God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost talking? You don't know either, do you? It's a mystery. Just accept it. Hogwash. Hogwash, that is an insult to the living God. And you can stand to your feet and sing Hail Trinity at the top of your lungs, and God's never moved one time, and God is never going to move. Never one time. Verse number 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your king. Is that God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost speaking? Deuteron or I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Interestingly, in Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 3, he saw John on the Isle of Patmos and said, I am the first and the last. And beside me there is no God. 
Let's just take a praise break and thank God for a revelation. And uh, the revelation of one God is the greatest revelation ever given to a mortal. The Hindus say there's many gods. The Trinitarians say there's three gods. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Clap your hand and give him praise. Now, already some of you are calculating. Nobody else in my family believes that. Why should that keep me from enjoying it? You might help them. In fact, God saved you out of your family so that through you, they could see the power and the glory. God's not going to forsake your family. If you, if you get in alignment with God, God's got another one he's going to pull out. And God's going to pull out another one until that entire family is sitting on a row, praising God and worshiping God in spirit and in truth. me. Beside me. Yeah, you know, let us make man in our image. Who's he talking about? The Trinitarian scholar that's got more degrees and a thermometer don't even work is going to tell you that he's talking to the other two guys in the Trinity. Let's make man in our image. After our likeness. All right. So he created three gods. Mo, Larry, and Curly. No, one God created one man. I'm trying to help some people here tonight. God created man in his image. How many guys did he create? Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. I know you agree with this. Listen. I have to contain myself because I can get off. Of course, you don't believe that, do you? Listen. There are people that have degrees as if that really meant something. Listen, anymore when you say, I'm going to university, it's almost like, <laughs> that's where all the trouble's coming from. Some guy that's got a degree saying, well, I came from the dust. And I'm starting to agree with it. Uh, we need to we need to all be socialists and we need to just we all need to live in the same kind of house with the same kind of car and have the same kind of windows and the same kind of clothes. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, that is from the devil. Do you hear me? The unique individual understanding of capitalism gives every human being a chance to rise above come on somebody. I don't mean to get political, but there it is. Brother Anderson, lift your fist again. There's that fist of capitalistic power and dominance. We want social medicine. Listen, you want social medicine? Why don't you move to another country where they're already doing that stuff? Quit trying to ruin this one. You know I'm telling you the truth. You can just sit there, though. 
I'm not supposed to get political. So I won't. But I'm passionate. I love this country. I feel like it's an honor and a privilege to be here. If you feel that way, let's just thank God. You could have been born anywhere. But you're here. All right. 48 and 17, Brother Anthony. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God which teacheth thee to profit and leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Only one God. Jews were entirely, and still are to this day, if they're, if they're absolutely attached. There's some new stuff out there, but it's, there's, there's a lot of new stuff out there. They are monotheistic. They believe in one God, which is one of the reasons why they, don't, they did not accept Jesus Christ. In fact, they persecuted him for making himself equal with God. They'd go to the high priest and say, there he is made himself equal with God, put him to death, let his blood be on us and upon our children, and it has been, but not in a way that redeems him. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26. There is only one God, and God said, let us make man in our image. That that is the first reference in the Word of God. That there is a plurality of persons. That's very important terminology because medicine is directly taken from a theological perspective. That that reveals a plurality of persons. The problem with that is, is it does, that's not what it means grammatically. So you have to understand that there's a lot of people that throw stuff out there just thinking, this guy ain't going to check. This, this guy ain't going to check. I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, in this church, you need to bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Bring your Vines Expository Dictionary. Bring your Strong's Concordance. Bring your, bring your uh, 23 volumes of the pulpit and commentary. Tell your neighbor to scoot over. Bring your library and say, I'm going to check and see if the pastor's telling me the truth. Bring everything you got. Because when it's all done, it's going to back up everything that God's telling us. In the word of God. There's a lot of people that come to this church just because they like the people. See, I already know these people. Pastor, I like the people in this church. Great. But you need to be born again. Well, I'm not really sure I agree with all that. Well, what are you doing here? Well, I like the people. Well, you know, I guess that's okay for a little while. But why would you want to be attached to a group of people that are going to walk on a street of gold and you're not going to be in there? See, what's happening is you like people that don't cuss. You like people that actually, husbands love their wives and love their family and they don't have a bunch of dirty jokes to tell you. Somebody help me out tonight. There's an attraction to that. 
Are you, are you under the impression that everybody out there in that world actually likes that stuff? Ladies and gentlemen, they desperately want something else. It's all they know. It's all they know. The average American today, within five minutes that they open their eyes, they have already checked their Facebook. Look at your neighbor and say, would you quit doing this to the pastor? The man is trying to say something. Even if somebody's really not there, say it anyway. I'm just kidding. They'll lock you up. If a, if a policeman pulls you over, just start talking to yourself. Uh, go on, just watch it next time. All right. Let us make man in our image. Grammatically, it literally means plurality of majesty. Go to Ephesians 1 and 11, Brother Anthony. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of whom, of who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Historically, the doctrine of the Trinity is not founded as completely absent except for false shards of misrepresented scripture in the Old Testament because it, it, it cannot challenge the bedrock of monotheism of the Old Testament Jews. consideration before Matthew 28, verse number 19. In these councils that they had, the very first council was very famous, the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. In one of the earliest councils, the, one of the greatest champions of the Trinity besides Tertullian, Oregon was a man by the name of Athanasius. And they adopted the Athanasian Creed in the 4th century. And I want to read to you an excerpt of what this council determined that was given to them by Athanasius. Okay? I'm going to read this in my formerly nicotine-stained finger. Whoever desires to be saved should, above all, hold to the Catholic faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. 
But the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is a distinct person. And the, and the person of the Holy Spirit is still another. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable. The Son is in, immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet they are not three eternal beings. There is only but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated or um, immeasurable beings. For there is but one uncreated immeasurable being. Simply the Father is almighty. The Son is almighty. The Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet these three are not three almighty beings. Thus the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet these not, are not three gods. Thus the Father is Lord. The Son is Lord. The Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller in their entirety. The three persons are co-eternal, co-equal with each other. So in everything, as we said earlier, we must worship their Trinity in their unity and their unity in their Trinity. And anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. What a bunch of unbiblical gobbledygook. You'd be way better off to believe that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Unity, Trinity, Unity, Trinity, Unity, Trinity, Unity, Trinity, Entity, Entity, Trinity. And he was the most intelligent man in the day. Hallelujah. That became the mandate of the Catholic Church. So they believed that baptism in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost was not just the description of a trinity. But they also believed that that baptism brought one into unity with the trinity. Why the devil had to change baptism. You've got to get this revelation. This is a revelation to me, and it blew my mind when I first got it, which wasn't a very big explosion, Brother Muth, because I didn't have a big brain to begin with. In fact, I'm starting to forget more than I knew because my brain's shrinking. But when Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, that's because at his death, he took the keys. He conquered death. And hell. And so what baptism is intended to do is to bring you into that alignment of authority. And so the apostolic church, and this is just one theological perspective, there's mul multiple, and they're all revealed in scripture. But this one is, is that when you're baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you have the authority of Jesus and you have the power of Jesus. And so the apostolic church is supposed to be a whole bunch of little Jesus running around. 
And the devil said, I can't have that. So first thing I'm going to do is change baptism and then change the identity of God. And now it's a bunch of people that are making up man-made rules, wearing funny costumes, no power, no authority, no deliverance from sin, and no eternal life. I rebuke that false doctrine in the name of Jesus Christ. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. My grandfather, bless him, soul, was a very wealthy man when he died. He was a millionaire when he died. And he lifted up that cane. I'll never forget him shaking that cane in my face. He saw me as a heavy metal, boozing, drugging, wasted life. And he was more happy and content to see me in that condition than to become a Pentecostal. And I'll never forget him waving that cane at me, saying, if you don't renounce that and come out of that emotionalism, I'm going to take you out of the will. I've just thought to myself, you go ahead and take me out of that will. I've got an inheritance from another world. I've got a job. I've got direction. I've got mental health. You're not going to bring me under that false doctrine that is no doctrine. It's a doctrine of demons and devils. If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world, small g, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. They that sat in darkness saw great light. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to bring this down a little bit more. One of the most striking things about the very early incursions of this notion of the Trinity was, and stick with me, was the introduction of non-biblical terminology. To where we have an entire culture that is used to using words that aren't even in the Bible to try to describe some spiritual thing. One of the greatest proponents of this, Tertullian, Athanasius, a man by the name of Oregon, O-R-I-G-E-N, and others were the proponents, is that what we are seeing in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, is distinct persons. That's very important. Because what they posited was, is that you are seeing the unique individuality. And you can see after I read this Athanasius Creed, you can see that it spawned that, that they believed that the Father was a unique individual person, totally separate from anybody else in the Trinity. The Son was a unique person, totally separate from anybody in the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is separate from anybody else and is a unique person. The problem with that is it's not biblical. In a more theological sense, it came down 
And this is where the real theological nugget is in all of this misinterpretation is right here. It wasn't really an interpretation of God. It wasn't even really an interpretation of the Spirit, as if you could separate those two. Everybody knows that the Father of the child, Jesus Christ, is the Holy Ghost. That's in Luke chapter 1. That's exactly what Gabriel told Mary. How shall this happen, seeing I know not a man? The Holy Ghost is going to overshadow me. So who's the Father? The Father or the Holy Ghost? In a more theological sense, which is where we live as apostolics, the real question came down to not who is God. It came down to who is Jesus. It was a Christological question. Who is Jesus? And they could not wrap their unregenerated minds around the fact that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Because in this juncture, and stick with me because I'm almost done. I'm coming down the home stretch. This is just part one. I'm just halfway through. The bottom line came down to the fact that they had to invent eternal sonship. And to those of you, there's there's many theologians here. There's It is eternal sonship that by far is the most glaring and critical revealing that this is a false doctrine. Let me. Eternal sonship believes that the Son of God existed before Bethlehem. That is going against one of the most magnificent and incredible revelations of the incarnation. Great is the mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh. If there's going to be a mystery, it shouldn't be on the triunity of God. It should be on the fact that God became a man. It is eternal sonship that is the fulcrum between God the Father and God the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And that became the centerpiece of the false doctrine of the Trinity is that they believed that the sonship existed forever. right, Brother Anthony, John chapter 1, in the beginning, I'm going to show you how how fundamental and how basic to our understanding and the revelation of this book, how eternal sonship is a false doctrine. In the beginning was the Word, 
That is capitalized. The W is capitalized. It means logos. Thought, word, idea. It did not say son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's because you cannot separate a person from their word. Which is why you're going to give an account of every word. You will be judged. You will not only be judged by the words that you spoke, you will be judged by the words that were in your heart. You cannot separate a man from his word. And so in the beginning was the word. Not a human being. Because there were no human beings created yet. And in order to have a son, you got to have a mother. Which might be one of the reasons why the Catholics deified Mary as the mother of God. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. This is why when you look at Colossians chapter 1, when it said that God created the world's he wasn't talking about Jesus Christ standing there in the beginning when he created. He was talking about he created everything by the word. And not only that, when God created anything, God created already in his mind the thought, the idea that I am going to create a world that's going to need a savior and so that I can prove who really loves me. Because they're going to have to walk out on people. They're going to have to get away from that world. They're going to have to go against that world. But they're going to prove to me. Why? Because God was alone. God wanted to know, is there anybody that loves me? The angels always knew my glory. They've never known anything but my glory. I know I've got angels and numerals. Snap my fingers, go here, go there. I'm tired of the angels. I want somebody that's never seen me. I want somebody that's never never been face to face with me. I want somebody that will live for me and loves me for eternity. That's why God did this. It was God's dream. Verse number 14. There's your sonship. But the Trinitarians believe, no, 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 no. He was in eternity. He was a son sitting right next to the father. They believe, they changed it. When I first got saved, it was called pre-existent sonship. They changed it. I just read a document. I won't tell you the university man is from. He's going to get an invitation to come to our symposium. You don't want to miss it next year. Next October, 20, 28, 29, and 30, we are doing a symposium and called the Chemistry of Regeneration, the blood, the water, and the spirit. And we are going to put that under a high-definition microscope and take it apart academically. We're sending out 25,000 invitations to non-denominational pastors, scholars, critics. Anybody that's got a degree can come. 
I'm not ashamed of this. I'm not afraid of this. This Bible is on our side. Or rather, I'm on the Bible side. Bring on T.D. Jakes. Bring on John MacArthur. Bring them all off of YouTube. Honey, if you've not been to the water in the only name, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name. No other name. Come on, clap your hands and give him the praise. The devil knew this from the beginning. All those loving family members, and I know I got them in my family. They reject this. They say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. God's saying, I wanted somebody that would want me. God led you to a spouse, you wanted to make sure that that little black book was in the garbage. I went to my wife's apartment one time and seen a picture, a photo album. I said, I don't like that guy. He's ugly. In fact, I'm getting ready to hurt somebody. Actually, it wasn't that dramatic, but she picked up on it because the next time I went to her apartment, that picture was gone. See, God's going to lead you to things in your life and say, I love you, and that thing you're doing doesn't really love you. We have a whole world that thinks that this has come out of some huge steepled, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. That is when God was manifest in the flesh. Let's go to the next scripture, Brother Anthony. I'm running out of time. When the fullness of time was come, in every one of these manifestations, even in the first one we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, there is a time, there is a place, and there is a purpose. It's not eternal. It's specified. Now, you got to get this. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Okay, if the son is eternal, and the only way you get a son is to have a mama. Then who is the eternal mother? I've met a few flower children in my day that thought that they were the Eternal mother, long hair with flowers in it, with dirty feet in thongs. There was no mother. 
because there was no pre-existent sun. The sun came right on time. It was a divine intersection. Please stop laughing. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the son made of a woman, made under the law. The entire, the entire theological drama had come to the place where God said, it's time. It's time. This is not chronology. This is kairos. Kairos is, is a spirit time. It's, spiritual. it's a spiritual clock. Which is why if you live your life according to Kronos and you really want to get close to God, you're going to get frustrated because God's operating on another frequency. He's operating on, on spirit time. That's exactly why when the disciples came to him, they said, well, now at this time, return the nation to Israel. No, that was according to a Kairos. But they were living according to Kronos. They said, we're tired of Roman rule. We want to come out from underneath the times of the Gentiles. Jesus said, you guys don't even understand. That's going to exist all the way to the end of this thing. But you just don't worry about that. You just go and be a witness for me. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman. That gives it locale. That gives it time. It gives it specific purpose. There is no pre-existent sonship. It was God in the beginning. Now it's God manifests in the flesh. And on the day of Pentecost in an upper room, it's now God being poured out on all humanity. It's not three people. It's not a trinity. It's not an individual person. It's one God that is using anthropomorphic terms, and he put them in a book so that the human, God doesn't have time to write six million words so that he can stand at your bed in the middle of the night. God, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? What about this? I don't know about that. What about this? My grandma said this. My uncle said this. What about this? What about that? You're just going to have to get on board and trust God. You're just going to have to understand that this revelation was not meant to hurt you and to harm you. It was a revelation to set you free from every false religion and every ideology. There is no pre-existent sonship, but there is eternal sonship now. Go to prepare a place for you. When, you. when you see this through the correct lens, you do not have to have a degree. You do not even have to finish grade school. Some of the greatest preachers that ever preached this probably never even finished grade school. You know, some people have a picture of Jesus in, the, in their house. some rendition from a 17th century artist, and they think that's what Jesus looks like. The Bible tells us that he had no form, no comeliness. Are you with me tonight? Is this all right? 
Let's go to the next scripture. Let's prove this, that God said there's going to be a specific time, there's going to be a specific pur purpose with a specific purpose. Go to the next one. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You're not going to get away from the virgin birth. It takes a mother. Well, what about eternal sonship? Go to the next one, please. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for that was, no, that's not it. Um, you know what, you're right, and you know you're right. Go to verse 32. Thank you, Brother Anthony. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I'm really trying to keep this on track. Listen to this, talking about Jesus. He shall be great and should be called the Son. Everybody said Son. And the Lord God shall give him unto him the throne of his father David. That is an amazing message. I don't have time for, go to verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born unto thee shall be called the Son of God. Okay, I thought the Father was the Father. Well, right here it's saying the Holy Ghost is the Father. So how many fathers are there? And how many spirits there are? Philippians 1.19 says the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and 9 says the Spirit of Christ. Romans 8.14 says the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2 calls it the Holy Ghost. How many spirits are there? Man, how many spirits do I got in me, man? It's starting to feel weird. No, those are all synonymous terms talking about the Holy Ghost. But if you're a Trinitarian, you have to view all those under a microscope and try to figure out which one we're talking about. The Holy Ghost was the father of the child, which was named Jesus. So who's the father? Who's the son? Who's the Holy Ghost? Which is why now you know in Matthew chapter 28, said there's one name. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. John 5, 43, I am come in my Father's name and you receive me not. John 14, 20, I can do this all night. I learned this before I was in the church for two years, all these scriptures. John 14, 26, the Holy Ghost will be sent in my name. John 15, 13, and when you receive the spirit of truth, he will lead you into all truth. Who's the spirit of truth? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How many spirits are there? How many sons are there? Who's the Father? I'm going to tell you, it's real easy. There's one God. There's only but one God, Israel. There's only but one God, church. And when you're baptized in Jesus' name, it is the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. Somebody, let's let these rafters roar with a revelation and an understanding that there's only but one God, and his name is Jesus. I don't have time to get in this. We'll have to do it part two. 
where there's only one throne in heaven and one comes out of the throne. It's like a lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for the spirit of illumination, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of wisdom, the simplicity of Christ would reign in our hearts and our minds. The devil's got people so psyched out that it's complicated, it's convoluted, it's all intertwined. How am I going to get free? Trying to scare us, trying to confuse us. It's the simplicity of Christ. This altar's open. If you want to come and pray, let's come and pray. Somebody. Pray for your family. Pray for somebody that's a Trinitarian, that there's blindness there. There's just a blindness. Somebody praise God for truth tonight. Come on, let's just come and stand around the front and give God the praise and the glory for the simplicity of this truth. Powerful, it's glorious, it's wonderful, it's altogether lovely. 